Don't miss out on the latest news and events in your community. Visit StarLocalMedia.com today. Sign up for our newsletter and stay informed on all the latest stories affecting your neighborhood. And if you're a local business owner, let us help you reach your target audience with our effective advertising solutions. Visit StarLocalMedia.com and take the first step towards staying connected to your community. Welcome to another episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast. My name is Matt Welch, being joined by David Woolman. Uh, David, it is 11 a.m. on the dot on a Monday, and we're here to, uh, you know, kind of like we did last week, where we kind of broke down kind of an overview of our 5A districts, kind of where things are at, kind of the district halfway point, and kind of set the stage for what's on the line heading into the home stretch. We're going to do the same thing today, except with our 6A districts. But I got to tell you, man, we got a uh, we got a tall order on deck because it's just the two of us, and then the third member of our crew, Devin Hassan, um, you know, who's off today, He's um, he presides over two of the four districts that we're supposed to talk about today. So yeah. uh, we're going to have to do a very, very commendable Devin Hassan impression when talking about 96A and 106A if we're going to get through this thing in one piece. We apologize to Dr. Pepper for not having the Dr. Pepper came out in front of us. So, the, the Devin um, Hassan, Devin Hassan I mean, hopefully we don't Dr. lose Pepper. our sponsorship after this week from Dr. Pepper. So. <laughs> oh, one day, man, I wish. <laughs> so, um, But yes, nevertheless, we soldier on. We are going to talk about about some 6A and just kind of get you all caught up as far as where things are at for our four 6A districts heading into the home stretch. I mean, last week was obviously a very, very significant week. You had some pretty major games over in 5, 6A as far as shaking out the kind of the pecking order there. You had um, some chaos over in 9, 6A, a very unexpected result there that we'll get to in a bit. Um, but let's start off with a district that is obviously a bit more near and dear to you and I because obviously we have a uh, we cover all eight teams in this district, that being District 6, 6A, um, you know, as we, uh, as we now get an idea as far as what's in store there. So last week was a wild one in 6-6-A, and we can kind of start there because um, it was maybe it was only a matter of time before COVID came calling, and uh, you know we had a couple uh, you know a couple teams have to cancel some games due to uh, positive tests within their programs related to the uh, to the pandemic. Um, Hebron and Plano. This is, um, in, uh, ironically enough, those two teams, they, uh, they played each other not too long ago. And then in the, uh, in the fallout from that game, a, a 42-38 victory by the Plano Wildcats, both teams have had to shut things down for a couple weeks. Um, you know, Hebron, it was um, a little over a week ago on Sunday. They, uh, they made the announcement official that they were going to have to cancel their next two games, games against Capel and against Marcus. Um, you know, one thing from that game against Plano is that their head coach, Brian Brazel, he wasn't there. Because he had already learned of a positive COVID test for himself. So, nevertheless, he was off quarantining. So, coincidence or not, you know, you've seen obviously quite a bit of an of a unfortunate trickle-down effect from that game. Because, you know, Hebron has to shut things down for two weeks on um, that Sunday afterwards. And then later on in the week, on Thursday, you get word that Plano has to make the call. And they have to then cancel their next two games because of a positive test within their program. Games against Louisville and then this week's game against Plano East will not take place because these decisions were made by the um, the superintendents and upper administration, they go down as no contest. So it's just they're wiped from the slate. It pretends like they never happened, which got to admit that's going to be really weird because Plano Plano East is it's kind of a, I mean, it's a cornerstone and Plano ISD 
Athletics. This will be the first year since 1981 that that game will not take place. Um, that was obviously, you know, before, you know, back when it was only a one-city high school, one, not one, a one high school city, I should say. Um, but yeah, it's going to be weird not having Plano Plano at least on the docket this week. But that's uh, that's the way it goes. COVID doesn't care, man. Yeah, COVID Look. does not care. So. No. As far as kind of the consequences from this, because there are consequences, because this does indeed stink for anybody who's involved, whether you're missing two district games or missing one, is when you're looking, obviously, I mean, it denies you a chance to compete, you know, which is obviously the big thing. And, you you know, you think if you're a team like Plano right now who is coming off your first win of the season, you finally got that win, win under uh, under new head coach Todd Ford in fairly dramatic fashion, too. They've had a number of games go right down to the wire, and they finally come up on the right end of one against, uh, against Heber and a longtime rival of theirs. And now there's no chance to build off of that. You know, you're feeling good heading into this week against mm-hmm. Louisville, which was probably going to be a pretty entertaining game. Then obviously you would have been really jazzed to play your biggest rival the following week against Plano East. Those opportunities are out the window now. And for a team that's just one and two in district, you're now up against it when it comes to trying to uh, wedge your way into the playoff conversation. Because when you look at basically the way that uh, the tiebreakers are going to be sorted out and the things that uh, kind of the hierarchy and what's going to be considered as far as who makes the playoffs out of this district, because now we're at a point where, not everyone's going to play the same number of district games. Some might be fortunate enough to complete all seven, but you know for sure that Plano can play only uh, no more than five at this point. Plano and Hebron can play uh, no more than five. And then you have some other schools like Capel, like Marcus. They might only play six and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So the way that they're going to determine the four playoff teams initially is basically district wins is the first thing as far as the uh, the protocols go so it's first district wins then you know if there's any ties there then you get into head to head and so forth so yeah to not get a chance to play district games in a seven game district schedule to miss out on at least two district ball games that is massive yeah so if you're a team like Plano right now that's one and two you basically when you get back you know Thanksgiving week and you have games lined up against Flower Mound and Plano West to close out you kind of have to win out if you're going to have any chance I think as far as wedging your way into the playoff conversation which is by no means a given so it's um it's just it's unfortunate but it's just kind of the hand that these teams have been dealt I mean it's just kind of what you're having to work through you know when these that was the thing when the UIL basically left it in the hands of the individual districts to come up with their own protocols on how to handle all this, you knew it was going to open yourself up to some, you know, some you know, some some oddball rules, as we'll get to later on with District 96A, and um, basically every district has kind of their own unique spin on this, so there are going to be some consequences that, you know, might, you know, impact some teams more than others if the pandemic comes a-calling, and you're kind of seeing that right here in, a, in 66A. This, um, so these cancellations, they impact, basically, there's only two teams in the district that are unaf- unaffected by this. Plano West and Flower Mound. Everybody else is going to lose at least one district game. Yeah. You know, so this week, as you'll see with, um, you know, it sucks like last week for Capel not getting to play that game against Hebron. Then this week, you know, the district, uh, the district front runner right now, Marcus, they get a, an, an unexpected bye week. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's an unfortunate circumstance for, uh, for all involved. But yes, I mean, it kind of, it really heightens the emphasis on having to close strong now if you miss out on district ball games, because like I said, your, your, your chances of getting into the playoffs, it all comes down to ultimately how many individual wins you have in district play. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what we're, um, you know, what's up against it right now for Plano and Hebron. Um, we can look kind of elsewhere in the standings now, as far as right now, where we're at, um, Marcus is kind of running away with this thing. Yeah. They're, they're, they're set themselves up as a clear number one in this yeah. district. I don't it, 
unless something miraculous happens, they're they're going to win that district, you know, championship easily. They're four and zero right now. They have a uh, pretty decisive lead on what is currently at least a three way tie for second place between teams that didn't play last week. Uh, Louisville, Hebron, and Capel. They are all tied at two and one for second place. Uh, one half game back of them at fifth place is Plano West at two and two. The Wolves still in the thick of things. Then we had Plano, who was off last week due to COVID. They are one and two in district play. Uh, Flower Mound got got in the in the win column for the first time in district play last week. They are one and three. Plano East bringing up the rear in eighth place at zero and four. Um, yeah, we can start with Marcus because um, yeah, this was um, it's been pretty emphatic the way the Marauders have gone about conducting their business. They're seven and zero overall. They're four and zero in district play. Their district ball games. You credit Capel for at least staying within striking distance most of the way because outside of that, it hadn't even been close, man. Their average margin of victory in district play is 29 points per game. That is, uh, that is blowing and going. Uh, in- it's not just one side of the ball you've got to focus on against markets. It's both sides. Oh, yeah. Their defense I mean, is great, too. I remember asking uh, Coach Atkinson after the game, I'm like, you know what? Everybody knows about your offense, but, I mean, what people should know about your defense? It goes like, you know what? Like, you've got to have good complimentary football, and we're here to win a state, we're here to win a state championship. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, you've got to have a good defense, and we've got one. It's a deep defense too. It is. They run a lot of guys in and out. If you just look at the individual stats, there's like there's no one that's just going to blow you away as far as like someone who's going to lead the district in tackles or anything like that. But they've got so many different guys that are all capable of contributing at all three levels of the defense too. I mean that linebacker core specifically has really really stood out in the games that I've got to see. There's you know Ty Ganey, Emmerich Depona. Um, the defense is only allowing 19.8 points per game in district. So when you factor that in with how well the offense is executing right now, it is. They're, click, they're checking all the boxes, man. They look far and away the best team in the district. No one has really given them much uh, much resistance. Um, I'm curious to see what Louisville can do later yeah. on just because of the ceiling of that offense. But right now, though, they look like head and shoulders above the rest of the of the pack. I remember the game I covered against Marcus. Um, you were just talking about the defense. Just or against Capel. Yeah. Between Capel, Capel and Marcus. Yeah, you're good. Capel and Marcus. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, we knew what Capel's passing offense is capable of mm-hmm. you know entering that game they had almost 1400 passing yards on the season yeah. and obviously you know you look at the, the wide receivers that they got kj Lickens, who had like all but 100 who had like over 100 receiving yards in all but one game entering mm-hmm. that and that one game was 94 yards so, so he essentially has over 100 yeah yeah if we just round it up just a little bit yeah. um obviously anthony black and dylan nelson you know how many passing yards capel had in that first half 37. 37. Goodness. That, so that just shows you how potent Marcus's defense right there. Goodness so, gracious. And whenever they go to the playoffs, you know, they're, uh, they're going to go down. Like, in, I think we looked at the numbers right there as far as enrollment. Like, you put them in Division Two right there. Mm. I mean, they got a chance to go really far. Yeah. I'm anxious to see what they can do. They got three rounds deep last year before running into Amarillo Tescosa. That was their deepest playoff run since the late 90s. Uh, they look primed to build off of that this season. Um, Garrett Nussmeyer, his, he just, um, within the last month, he's broke in the school records for passing yards and passing touchdowns, which that was inevitable given what yeah. this, the, the level this kid's been playing at. But um, he's currently third in the area in passing right now among 6A schools with 2,342 yards. He's completing 71% of his passes, too. And it's not a dink and dunk offense by any stretch. No. He lets that thing fly. Um, he's got some great receivers out there that do a really good job kind of thriving when the plays break down. And he's especially great at that, too, mm-hmm. just kind of improvising and making stuff happen on the, uh, on the fly like that. He's got 27 Seven touchdown passes, only four interceptions. Um, you know, J. Michael Sturdivant, Cal commit, his top target out there, 713 yards and eight touchdowns. 
defense. They've started to kind of pick things up in the run game as well. It's, I mean, they're such a fun offense to watch. It and, is. I mean, you could just watch Nussmeyer back there scramble for his life, scramble for his life, and just get off just these off balance passes that just somehow find the target right on the dime. It's they're man, they're playing so well right now. I remember the the. the it was a play against Capella, and it was in the, I think it was the second quarter, and uh, it was third and 16, and Capella sent some players, you know, multiple players on the right side, mm-hmm. and thus far, Nussmar is flushed to his left side, and a lot of high school quarterbacks, they might freak out whenever they're seeing that pressure, but he's, he's a cool customer in the pocket. All he does is he sees green grass out there, runs for a 20-yard gain right okay. there. So that just shows you not only can he, you know, he can set, set up a to like reset up to his left, but he can also take off and run mm-hmm. first, first, first down whenever he needs to. So, I mean, he can just improvise in so many ways. I kind of saw the same thing in their game against Plano, where again he gets flushed out of the pocket, has to go to his left. He's right, he's he's bearing down on the sideline. He's got the pass rush right on him, and he just whips the ball across his body down to the middle of the field. And I was either Tyler Shot or Dallas Dudley that he finds just streaking down there, and it just falls right in right into their hands. It was a perfectly placed pass, um, just a spectacular highlight. And and, um, yeah, I mean, they look they look so good right now. Marcus is, yeah, they're kind of running away with this thing so far with a 4-0 start. Like I said, though, I'm curious to see what they still have that, the Battle of the Axe game against Louisville. And it's just because Louisville's offense has gotten back on track since that, uh, you know, that slow start against Plano West. They lost that game 27-17. to um, You know, but they've turned it around, obviously, since then. They've eclipsed 50 points in their next two games against Plano East and, uh, and Flower Mound. And, I mean, it's the usual suspects. I mean, Damian Martinez didn't play last. Last week, and he's still leading the area in rushing. <laughs> just is, that's just insane. That's I mean, crazy. He's you know one thousand one hundred and eighty nine yards on the season, seventeen touchdowns. He's averaging almost ten yards a carry. Division one schools are finally starting to take notice. Um, he's starting to get in um, you know get some offers going, and surely uh, he's um, obviously he's got plenty of uh, plenty of bright future did, ahead of him. Did not see Notre Dame on the list the other week? I have not seen. I just I, I forget who it uh, might have been. One of the uh, might have been like maybe. Virginia, Georgia Tech or Virginia Tech? I think it was somebody? Georgia Tech. Okay. that um, I know somebody at least. You know, he's starting to get Division One for sure, which was only a matter of time. Yeah. Is, I mean, when you're leading Class 6A in the Dallas area and rushing, then that oh, just kind of comes with the territory. Exactly. But the passing offense was picked right back up with Taylor Green, you know, 1,704 yards, 15 touchdowns. Um, you know, it's just you look at the um, kind of what's uh, what's left for them. And, you know, again, it, this is you know a team that missed out on their chance to play last week. So, I mean, every win is going to be pivotal, you know, for them going forward. But they've got a huge game coming up this week against Capel. That's a game, obviously, given that they're tied in the standings, is going to have a drastic effect on potentially who gets second place in this district. Mm-hmm. And then you got the following week against Marcus. So it's, I mean, it's... You know, you you worry about maybe losing a little bit of momentum with having to take a week off and maybe getting that extra time away and whatnot. So maybe they get a chance to heal up. There is that, but you were in such a good way offensively that you worry about maybe losing a little bit of that luster. Well, Capel's in the same situation too. They didn't have a fair. game last week, so that is fair. So, um, but I'm anxious to see kind of what happens there. But Louisville, they've gotten things back on track, starting to look like a team that you know had some uh, some pretty lofty expectations coming into the season. And then with Capel, like we've you know alluded to in their game against Marcus, but they're in the thick of this thing too. They're yeah. two. And one, and for a team that was looking to, uh, you know, kind of re- uh, reignite its its fire as a playoff program, they're in a good spot looking ahead. So, um, what's kind of the vibe right now as far as what you've seen out of Capel and what's at stake for them heading into these final few weeks? Uh, there's, it's a team that has a lot of fight. Mm-hmm. Even like when they got down against Marcus, when they had just three points in the first half against them, when they had just the 37 passing yards, yeah. it's a team that that can 
continues to fight. They don't care how much time is left. They don't care what the final score is. They're just going to keep battling. Um, Ron Walker threw for uh, over 180 yards in the second half of that game. Uh, KJ Liggins had two touchdowns. Anthony Black had one as well, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're just going to keep fighting, scratching, uh, crawling. I, th- I think they even got to within two, uh, two possessions at one time, and then they just can Like, it was just a little bit too late right there. But um, I, th- it, I think it's a team, right? a Capel team that, like, that that can score. It's just consistency right now, um, it, and you've seen it not only in that game, but also like the, you take like the Pino game, mm-hmm. yeah, where they had that twenty point third quarter, and it looks like you know they're just gonna cruise to victory out there. And all of a sudden, they had some special teams gaffes in the fourth quarter that made it a little bit more interesting than what Coach Dewitt probably wanted it oh, to yeah. be. So, I mean, it, it's a team that, you know, like whenever they play good, they're they're a very, very good team. But whenever they have some mistakes, whenever they have some drives that, you know, that aren't going well, like, you know, not only one drive, but maybe two or three drives in a row. You kind of compound on them a bit. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, if they can just find some consistency, I think it's a team that, you know, can make some make a lot of noise. Once they clear this week against Louisville, then they actually do have at least a pretty encouraging closing stretch with games against Plano East and Flower Mound. Yeah. So, they are they're in good shape right now. It's a good yeah. spot to be in if you're looking to get back to the playoffs and you're in your capel right now. Absolutely. Um, one of the biggest surprises in the uh, in the district and honestly maybe the area this year has been Plano West. A program that is really not that far removed from a 34 game losing streak and wouldn't you know they I mean they're two and two in district they have earned every right to be mentioned among the Louisville's Capels Hebrons those other teams that are vying for playoff spots um, I mean they've they've looked the part too they have that that signature win over Louisville to kick off the district slate and they're um you know they're kind of a in a district where it feels like anybody can put up 40 plus on a given night which is the caliber of offenses in this district West is kind of an anomaly in that respect and that they're more of a defense first team you know they're allowing just 22.4 points per game on that side of the ball they've got great play from a number of guys Jacob Stevens standout linebacker committed to Lamar uh, Cole Frederick stud up front and then Tyler Harrell in the secondary um, in the offense it's doing just enough I mean they've and they found a Ways to manufacture wins in different in different uh, different ways. Um, it's a uh, it's big on a uh, you know kind of being predicated on an efficient passing game. It's not a team that's going to really stretch the field a whole lot, but they've got some guys, Jabraden King-Woods, Tyler Harrell, that are capable of kind of stretching the field a bit. Jackson Stambaugh is another one, um, you know, getting some yards after the catch and whatnot. But the bread and butter has really been that run game of theirs. Um, you know, Tabern Yates entered the year is kind of expected to be the bell cow, and he's unfortunately been um, kind of on and off with injuries, you know, um, you know, at least during the uh, during the district schedule. He's been battling a, a bit of a quad issue. But that's where they've uh, they've kind of unearthed some, uh, you know, some key pieces for their future and a couple soft. Sophomores that look like they could be really, really big contributors for them down the road. Dermot White is a guy who's really, really picked up his, um, you know, his level of play in recent weeks and kind of steadying the run game impressively for again just a sophomore. But he's, I mean, that running game hasn't missed much of a beat, you know, with him back there uh, taking carries instead of Yates. And um, and then um, Vance Fauerbacher, who um, was been, um, he basically just played all over the place to begin. Again, he's just a sophomore, but obviously, you know, head coach Tyler Sukup sees a lot of a lot of promise in his versatility because. He was um he's their backup quarterback and they would use him occasionally as kind of a a change of pace you know more of a mobile option call you know some design runs for him, um, but he also punts the ball for them on special teams and he's one of the contributors one of the, actually a big contributor in the secondary for them as well so he contributes all over again it's just a sophomore and then in their game against Plano East because of an injury to quarterback Greg Drawn he got the start. And they were able to win that game, 34-26. He was really, really impressive. So, I mean, you're just thinking down the road, I mean, 
the future is really, really bright for this program all of a sudden. <laughs> it, it very is. I mean, that's a team that's not going to yeah. be on a 34-game losing streak at all any time soon. I know. it's uh, they got big games coming up against Flower Mountain and Hebron these next two weeks. And, I mean, they're in contention for a playoff spot. It wouldn't shock anyone if they were able to follow through on that when you look at what they've got coming up. And yeah. It would be their first playoff burst since 2014, which, I mean, if you had told me that, that they would be at this juncture already last season at this point, I mean – it's such an impressive turnaround for them. Coach Sukup has done such an awesome job getting that program on the uh, on the right track and back to playing the caliber of football that they you know that they were obviously before things you know took a little bit of a dip south for a few years. And, and like the way their schedule is set up and the way the district you know this executive committee set up you know the playoffs in its situation this year mm. is that. Then it's not the the district record with wins and losses. It's just the number of wins, yeah. and they still have three games left. And some of these teams might not even get like you know five game, district games under their belts right here. So if they're able to run the table, and they've got a pretty favorable schedule with Flower Mound, Hebron, and Plano. So if they can win at least two or three of those, they they got a excellent chance of being in the playoffs. If it's a matter of just simple, just kind of fortune as far as being able to avoid any sort of hiccups related to the pandemic, whether you have any positive tests within your own program or an upcoming opponent has any as well. Like I said, them and Flyer Mount are the only two teams that aren't impacted currently at least by the, uh, you know, by the Plano Hebron uh, cancellations and whatnot. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an advantageous spot to be in. I mean, if nothing else, and obviously it's nothing that, you know, they have anything to do with. It's just kind of some good fortune in their, in their, uh, in their Respect. And same with Flower Mound. All of a sudden now, that game Friday between Plano West and Flower Mound, there's a bit of an added layer of intrigue to it, obviously with what the shut, what's happening elsewhere in the district with the shutdowns. But then with Flower Mound, all of a sudden now coming to life last week with that offense that had been going through a bit of a rough patch. They had only averaged 17.8 points per game leading into last Friday's game against Plano East. And then they haul off and beat Plano East sixty three to twenty one. <laughs> what happened there? What flipped the switch there? The offense had its best game of the year by a freaking mile, man. They've, I mean, there's there's been some promise with um, you know, this junior quarterback that they've been rolling with, Nick Evers. He's already got some Division One interest from multiple programs, and he had his best game of the year by a long shot. He was thirty one of thirty seven for four hundred and fifty two yards and four touchdowns. Goodness, he had a rushing touchdown as well, so five touchdowns for him, and just an absolute just breakout performance for Nick Evers. His top receiver, Parker Clark, he had 12 catches for 234 yards and three touchdowns. My I mean, goodness. It's it's like playing, he was just playing with 10 guys on the field at all times in that yeah. game. It was, and, and Kate Edline went over 100 yards receiving as well. He had 10 catches for 117 and one touchdown. I mean, yeah, they, I mean, the defense has been, even despite their, uh, you know, their, they're uh, they're losing streak because they I believe they had lost four consecutive games prior to that win. Mm-hmm. I mean the defense had been solid on the year. Those performances, you know, against Marcus and Louisville, notwithstanding and whatnot. But I mean, if the offense has turned a corner, if they figured something out here with Evers in that passing game, um, then I mean that could make for a pretty fascinating home stretch for the Jaguars. You feel like it's just like them just finally, you know, getting on the same page, you know, because like number one, it's like the pandemic, you know, affected a lot of teams this year mm-hmm. with all the pieces that they lost from last year. Uh, maybe sometimes it might take a little, several games for everything to click. And maybe this is the game where everything, you know, like, you know, it all comes together. Mm-hmm. It feels like, you know, all the reps and like all the struggles that we've had, you know, just, you know, getting everything on the same page right there. This is 
this is a game where it's, it's going to finally click. Yeah, because worth kind of keeping note at the start of the season, this Flyermont offense, again, you think of just the bar that that program has set for itself over the years on offense. They only had two starters coming back on that side of the ball. So, yeah, yeah naturally, this if this is, again, yeah, finally them getting all on the same page, then, I mean, look out. They've got uh, they've got games remaining against, let's see, they play, where is it at? Um, they play at home against Plano West. Yeah, they play Plano West, they play Plano, and they play Capel to yeah. close out. So, granted, there are currently just one and three, so you obviously you have to keep winning games you've got to win probably think at least three four i think is probably kind of the sweet spot but yeah i mean the margin for error is already pretty slim right now but they've at least got themselves with some i mean you at least see some positive returns now that you can build off of heading into that home stretch which is huge for the jaguars and then there's plano east we can just quickly just a quick note on plano east and then we can move on to another district finally Um, okay it's just it's just a tough break for them right now at zero and seven and then i mean this law i mean not getting to play the plano game is costly first off because you look at what they have left on their schedule they got to play marcus and they got to play capel so they're probably staring down the barrel of 0 and 9 right now again they could pull some you know some spoiler magic and maybe just throw this entire thing into a tizzy but they're certainly not going to be favored in either of those games and they would be um you know just for a team that just hasn't been able to kind of just get just again you talked about just the lack of consistency with a team like capel and plano east has kind of gone through that same sort of thing this year it would be the third time in four years that a pisd team has gone winless though if oh. it indeed pans out which you never like to see it's not no. i mean no one deserves with with all the work that these kids put in with Everything they've been up against this year, you you don't want to see anybody go winless. So hopefully no. for East's sake, they find some way to salvage it. But, I mean, they've got a really, really tough draw, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially with this game against Plano on Friday uh, falling through. So that's a look at District 6-6A. Um, let's, all right, so let's shift gears and talk about – I'm not even going to read the standings for District 9-6A because they don't matter. <laughs> they, I mean, okay, who – Who's the team that, that had the best record coming in there? It was Rowlett. So let's yeah, let's just kind of set the stage for what happened because things got turned upside down with District 96A last week. So as we've talked about, they've been doing this. They decided to kind of pivot away from a traditional district schedule format, and they were doing kind of a, a pod zone system or whatnot, basically separating the eight teams into four separate zones. The, um, you know, the first part of the district schedule was supposed to be the teams from the zones playing one another to determine their seeds. And then starting last week, you're going to have zone seeding games where you'd have the one seat from zone A, play the four seat from zone B, and, you know, so forth. Um, but then you had, of the four games that were scheduled last week, only two of them took place because, like I said, COVID doesn't care how you structure your <laughs> schedule. And nope. COVID has, um, has unfortunately come calling with some positive cases surfacing with North Garland and Lakeview, and they've had to reshuffle the schedule a bit. And that unfortunately kind of threw off the, um, you know, kind of the... Uh, the, the seamless structure that they were hoping to achieve in this uh, with this schedule. So they had to um, – the coaches met last week in the district and kind of had to call a bit of an audible, and they basically decided that last week's set of seeding games would actually be for playoff spots. So – and mind you, there's still plenty left to go in the regular season. Teams have not finished playing games yet, but – those games last week between Rowlett and Wiley, Saxe and South Garland, because of what 96A had decided in advance, those games decided two of the playoff teams in this district. And it's certainly an unintended consequence of all this because mm-hmm. you had the one result that really kind of turned a lot of heads as far as what it actually meant. But yes, Rowlett, which entered that game against Wiley with a 3-0 and record going up against a, uh, a Wiley team that even though they were 0-5, they had begun to to, you know, slowly start to kind of get things on track, you know, whatnot. But 
Wiley picked a perfect time to play its best game of the season. That's right. <laughs> because they defeated Rowlett 30-27. to 27. And again, in a normal season, that's just a midseason hiccup for Rowlett. Mm-hmm. You re-rack, get back at it next week and try to keep working towards a playoff berth. But in this uh, these most unusual of circumstances, because of the way 9-6-A has decided to handle this with those seeding games resulting in playoff berths, Wiley is in the playoffs and Rowlett is eliminated. They can fin- <laughs> The crazy thing is, like... Rowlett can finish the season six and one and be com- and they're out of the playoffs. I know. Is it fair? No, no it's not. Not no. at all, man. It's just, it's unfortunately, you know, this is what the nine, six, a district executive committee agreed on and they understood the potential for a scenario like this to unfold. I mean, it's just, obviously it's an unintended consequence, but certainly a, just a tough one for Rowlett, man. You look at just the, I mean, you see all the teams in our coverage area this year, I'm not sure there is any one team that has taken more bullets from the pandemic than Rowlett has. I mean, this is a program that didn't even get to play the first month of the season because of a uh, you know COVID-related shutdowns and whatnot. And then they finally get going there. They get the uh, an, an impressive win over North Garland to start off their schedule. They get that momentous win over Saxe, their first win over Saxe since 2015, I want to say. Um, I mean, and then you get a uh, the spirited comeback against Garland and, man, just all these good vibes with, uh, with Rowlett. And then in one night, <laughs> it goes away. In the middle of the regular season, it is all for naught. Um, so, a really, really tough break. I mean, this is not, I mean, this is a program that last year they missed the playoffs, and that was actually a, a year that snapped a run of 14 consecutive playoff appearances for Rowlett. That was a Garland ISD record. So, I mean, you're thinking, I mean, you're thinking about getting back on track and reigniting that playoff tradition. And everything leading into this game last Friday said that they were well on track to do so, but just because of the awkward nature of the pandemic and the way that they decided to schedule this all. It's all for naught. It's 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 such a it's such a bummer. You feel bad for those kids, for sure, man. I mean, so yeah, I mean, there's like I said, the other playoff spot though was locked up by Saxy, who was you know the subject of our game of the week last week, mm-hmm. and you know it was something about being game of the week just lights a fire under the Saxy Mustangs, man, because they they they. Took, took, uh, they took Garland to the woodshed a few weeks ago when we talked about him for Game of the Week, and then last week against South Garland, 57-13. to 13. Wasn't even a ball game. 624 yards of offense from Saxe, 490 coming on the ground on almost 10 yards of carry. Uh, Brian Okoye had 224 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Alex Orgy, the quarterback, 109 on the ground and three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they looked – it was in their offensive line, obviously, had a lot to do with that as, as well, so – Saxe looks right on schedule there. They were able to snap a two-game losing streak, and they're now bound for the playoffs for the sixth straight year. Um, we still need to see what happens elsewhere, though, in the district. Um, you know, North Garland and Neyman Forest, they were supposed to play last week in a, uh, in a seeding game to decide a playoff berth. That's now going to take place November 27th. I don't know if they've officially set a date yet for the, the Lakeview Centennial Garland game, um, but that's the other game that will decide who gets into the playoffs. So anything else that happens in the district is unfortunately kind of just a footnote. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But, yeah, obviously the big news from that one is um, just a tough, tough way for Rowlett's season to unfortunately end. I mean, and I say end, and they still, they're still going to be playing later on this week, but as far as the hopes of a playoff berth, it's unfortunately over. Yeah, uh, just the, for Rowlett, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, but, I mean, you just want to have the kids go off on a good note right there. Yeah. So, I mean, 
they understood the circumstances coming into the season right there. And I think right now, any time that they can play football is a good thing, mm-hmm. especially after what happened earlier in the season. So I mean, if they can win these final three games, you know, that, that that's got to feel good for mm-hmm. those kids. Yeah. It's um. so yes, that's a look at least right now is kind of, kind of uh, where things are at in district nine, six, a again, a very, very unorthodox week in nine, six, a um, we actually had though, again, knock on wood, but it's been for the most part, pretty seamless over in five, six, a, and that was a week last year where there was a lot of moving and shaking as far as some games that had major stakes on district championship races, um, the playoff races and whatnot. So, um, I mean, there's three, all three games carried major, major significance. And mm-hmm. I got to see one. Um, I was really, I mean, this was the game that I probably had circled more so than any other this season. I was really excited to see Allen and Denton Geyer lock horns at Eagle stadium last week in a game that by all, all accounts, it was supposed to be, you know, two of the, uh, you know, two of the, you know, 10, 15 best teams in the state. And, We've seen, I mean, you know, we've seen him do it a lot of a lot in advance, so it shouldn't surprise anyone that it happened once again. Um, but Allen just they they raised their level of play for these big district games. They've just shown it over the years. I mean, they've won now. This is what sixty three in a row in district play that they've won. They've now won eighty consecutive regular season games, and this one. The final score was fifty six to thirty eight. So, a largely emphatic performance by Allen. This was a forty two to ten ball game in the first half, and. The score forty-two to ten at halftime. Um, tell me how many yards the Green Twins had at halftime. <laughs> the Green Twins, I believe it was so they had I combined one reception for either zero or one yards, depending on how generous you are with the spot of the ball. This was all about their run game, mm-hmm. the work the offensive line did up front, the, just the team wide run blocking. They their run game just. It mauled Geyer. There was a stretch there where, you know, Geyer is able to march down to get a field goal to start. Allen, bit of a bend-don't-break start on defense. But then Allen just cruises right down the field. Jordan Johnson scores on a touchdown. And then they really blew this one open there. They stretched that bridged the uh, the first and second quarters where they scored touchdowns on three consecutive plays. <laughs> <laughs> and they were all on these big runs of at least 50 yards apiece. Jalen Jenkins and quarterback General Booty even got it on the mix. 52-yard touchdown runs for each. And then Jordan Johnson, he had an 82-yard touchdown run. So wow. in three plays, they totaled 186 rushing yards and three touchdowns. That's not a bad average. They were, um, yeah, they were off to the races in that one. Uh, yeah. Johnson finished the night with 132 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Jenkins with 97 and two touchdowns. Booty had 82 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Touchdowns. Even their backup quarterback, Jake Wolf, who saw a lot of time in the second half, he had two rushing touchdowns as well. They had eight rushing touchdowns in this one, David. It was, um, yeah, and again, just the, the work of the offensive line, just absolutely overwhelming guy at the point of attack and opening up some holes that, I mean, those, those running backs are explosive enough as is, but when you have the room to run that they did on Friday, it's just, they made it look easy out there, unfortunately for Geyer, which I know is, you know, they've obviously had better days on defense in that one, but they just got absolutely overwhelmed in that aspect of the game and you know they were able to make it a little bit interesting in the third quarter for a few moments they had a run of 21 unanswered points including a key turnover forced on a kickoff return that you know what maybe give some anxious moments there for a time or two but then Allen went right back to the run game and Geyer had nothing for it it was yeah, just an absolute clinic by Allen and certainly a major statement as far as reasserting the Eagles as the best team in this district this was one where you know 
it was only three people on our panel here, but two of the three picked out, picked uh, Geyer to win. And I believe I heard in the press box that the majority of the morning news writers pick Geyer to win this game. So, I mean, you don't want to give Allen, you know, the chance to manufacture any sort of underdog identity for a program like that. But there was a lot of people thinking that Geyer had a really good chance in this game, and Allen was no, not I, not I, not I was feeling one of it, them buddy. Too. It's um yeah, Allen looked Allen looked awesome in uh, in victory. They're um they're still undefeated, you know at uh five and zero on the year, three and zero in district play. Um, then you've had uh, the other two games of consequence. You had Boyd and Little Elm playing Little Elm, which it's been a tough team to figure out, man. Yeah, you saw them against Prosper. They put up a, a respectable showing against Prosper. Prosper mm-hmm. was state ranked, I believe, number fifteen in the state, mm-hmm. and you know Little Elm only loses that game thirty to twenty, yes. was it? And so they didn't get run off the field by any stretch. And then they, I mean, they go out and like they put the fear of God in Allen with some of the. I mean, John Matier had a career night at the expense of Allen's defense. That same Allen team that just destroyed Geyer mm-hmm. last week, John Matier threw for almost five hundred yards against them. Little Elm totaled over 600 yards of offense. Um, and But then they turn around the following week then against Boyd, and then they are, they're held to just 200 and what, 217 yards of offense. Um, yeah, they just they just could never get on track. And granted, Boyd played some Boyd played some pretty solid defense. And I said this last week, but um, you know, despite the what their record might show you, that's a team that, you know, even with, you know, they obviously had a, a rough go against Allen. They gave up 42 to Allen. They gave up 38 to Rockwell Heath. They're still only holding, they're still holding opponents to under 20 points per game, even with those two results factored in. Mm-hmm. They've held five of their seven opponents to 12 points or less. Oh, wow. Including Denton Braswell. Um, that's, yeah, it's a defense that's got some really, really strong play from their linebacking core. Mateo Bianchi, he's racking up Division One offers every week, it seems. Mm-hmm. Ethan Weslowski has been another standout player for them on that side of the ball. And they're, um, I mean, they're getting some really, really tight contributions with the run game. They've kind of it's been a bit of a shuffling the deck as far as who's going to be leading the uh, the backfield and carries and whatnot, whether it's due to injuries or what the case is. But it was Ellis Patterson on Friday against uh, against Lidlam, who was kind of the bell cow. He had 213 rushing yards, um, really really strong game for him. And all of a sudden now this Boyd team is in a really really good spot because we feel like we've got the top three in some order. You know whether it's it feels like now, especially with Geyer having the head to head win over Prosper, that maybe you're looking at Allen one, Geyer two, Prosper three. But as far as that fourth place fourth place uh, standing goes, I mean, Boyd's got wins over Little Elm and Braswell, which is a really good spot to be in. It's really kind of leading up to uh, this game next week, the Crosstown Showdown against their rival uh, McKinney. And it feels like that game's had playoff stakes on the line at least for the past three, four years. And, well, again, well you know, it's looking like it's going to be that case once again because uh, McKinney was able to get a very, very timely uh, first district win. They were able to hold off Braswell, went 34-31. to 31. Um, You know, we expected in this one that the offense would finally get it going given what Braswell's defense had shown. And sure enough, they have their second highest scoring output of the uh, of the season, the most points they've scored since opening week against Plano. Um, R.J. Carver, I mean, that offense is going to go as far as R.J. Carver can take them. And he was an absolute workhorse in this game. 33 carries for 167 yards and two touchdowns. Um, they're just they're finding different ways to get Omari Walker involved. He's new to the program, coming over from the Mesquite area, but they were able to get him involved. You know, both as a as a rusher and a receiver. He had 139 total yards and two touchdowns. They're they are just one and two in district play, but they've already played Prosper and Geyer, and they're going to play Allen this week. So you get those games over with, and then you have a home stretch that includes Boyd and Little Elm. And if you're able to go come away two and zero in that stretch, then you should be back in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so that's kind of a look as far as what is at stake there. Again, Prosper, they had a bye this week. They're 2-1. and one. Their wins have come over McKinney and Little Elm. They did lose to Geyer at the last second, a game that they were kind of in control of. There's a big one looming against Allen next week, and I'm excited to see what that defense, which has been so solid all season long, what kind of resistance they can offer. Maybe they do a little bit, bit of a better job slowing down Allen. But, um, but yeah, it's... It was a big week last week in five, six, eight. And at least we finally now have at least a little bit of clarity as far as, wing th- where, as, far as where things stand right now mm-hmm. heading into the home stretch. Just to kind of reiterate the standings right now in that district, Allen is in first place at 3-0. and uh, Geyer is in second place at 3-1. and Prosper and Boyd are currently tied for third place at 2-1. and Then you have McKinney in fifth place at 1-2. and Braswell in sixth place at 1-3. and And Little Elm in fourth place at 0-4. Um, all right, so then let's see. Let's close out with a look then over at 10-6A and talk a little bit of Mesquite ISD because it's been a district that is, um, you know, we've got at least an idea as far as where kind of the, the heavyweights in the district lie and is expect kind of leading into the district schedule. It's kind of materialized as such. Rockwall looks like they're on pace to, to win a district championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have Rockwall, Heath, and Skyline. They're tied for second place, 2-1. and one. Um, They're well back of Rockwall, who's 4-0 and oh right now. Then things are going to get interesting. So these last four teams, there's not a whole lot separating them. You have North Mesquite, 1-1 one one in district play. Um, they're a half game up on Mesquite High at 1-2 and two in fifth place. Tyler Legacy is 0-2 oh in sixth place. And then Mesquite Horn is in seventh place at 0-3. Oh um, so with respect to Mesquite ISD right now, David, What's um and I kind of just what is kind of on the line I guess heading into this home stretch right now as we look to try to figure out if uh, Mesquite ISD can get anybody into the playoffs at the six A level. Oh man, um, it they've got a between uh, North Mesquite, Mesquite, and Horn. They only have two wins oh, in, wow. in district play. So it's it. And also, it's a team that like a district that's been hit with a little bit of COVID as well too. Yes, I mean Mesquite just uh, had a positive case and they weren't able to uh, get their game against North Mesquite in uh, last week, mm-hmm. and and then obviously not only Mesquite but Horn had a positive test as well too, so they weren't able to uh, get in their game against Tyler Legacy. Mm-hmm. So that's that's two that's two of the three teams right there. Yeah, in that, in that only yeah, the only game that got played in this district last week was Rockwall and Skyline. Yeah, Rockwall won that game fifty six to six. So check and then check out the. Because of that, did you see the schedule for like that way the district's going to close out? It's dude, it is it is wild. Like North Mesquite posted their remaining schedule on Twitter, and we, I mean, we're just so used to Friday night lights and just everything that just that you know the tradition of playing a uh, you know under a, under that Friday night spotlight. So here's what North Mesquite has remaining: they play this week against Skyline. I believe that game is set for Thursday. Um, and then the following week, Thanksgiving week, they're supposed to play November 25th, which is a Wednesday. Against Tyler Legacy. That following week, they then play November 30th, which is a Monday, <laughs> against Rockwall. And then they close things out on December 5th, which is a Saturday, <laughs> against Mesquite High School. My goodness. It's such a, it's, it's an ice cream headache for everyone involved in that district right now. But uh, it's a headache. But, I mean, there's still games left to be played. And somebody's, somebody's got to get that fourth spot in that district mm. right there. Um, obviously, you know, maybe Mesquite's got a chance. I mean, they started the season 0-5, but uh, they, they're starting to show some signs a little bit. Um, they had that big win over Mesquite Horn, 54-20. Oh, yeah, really, really got going in the second half Huge offense. one. Uh, uh, Ch- Chance Edwards, you know, but, um, you know, he, he missed a game with an injury but earlier this season, but he went 16-23 of 23 for – 247 yards and six touchdowns in that game. That's pretty good. Just a little. Just pretty. Just pretty good. 
Um, so they're, they, they picked up their first win the other week. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they're still mathematically alive and, mm-hmm. and obviously they've, they've got a, they, they've got a pretty good favorable schedule right there because they don't have to worry about Rockwall or Skyline anymore. Yeah. Got those ones behind you for yeah. sure. So pretty much like Rockwall Heath is pretty much like the big boy you got to worry about right mm-hmm. now. That's it. As far as um, kind of the key games that are left, I mean, yeah, you are looking. If, the, if Mesquite ISD is going to get a team in the playoffs out of this district, it's most likely going to be either North or Mesquite High. Yeah. Horn, unfortunately, has already lost head-to-head to both of those schools. And, I mean, just when it comes down to tiebreakers, you just put yourself at a bit of too much of a disadvantage there and mm-hmm. whatnot. So that game, December 5th, looms large. They're only separated by a half game in the playoffs currently. Um, I'm curious to see kind of what happens with Tyler Legacy. As far as a team that might be able to kind of right the ship and then climb their way back into that playoff mix, they started off the year pretty, uh, you know, on a pretty impressive note. They had wins over Lufkin and Tyler looked like they might have, uh, you know, kind of gotten things on the right track. But they've since lost four straight games, albeit games that at least in district play they only lost to Skyline by six, and they and- lost to uh, Rockwall by five. And you mentioned, like, they were ahead in that game against Skyline at the half. Yeah. And then uh, Rockwall, I think they were tied at halftime. Yeah. So they've at least been competitive even in defeat against these upper echelon teams in the district. So, and you look at the way their schedule shakes out, and they've still got to play all three of the Mesquite ISD schools. So they've, um, you know, just given what they've shown, I'm curious to see if they're maybe able to to, uh, to kind of make a push. As far as that game between Legacy and Mesquite, that game takes place um, November 30th again. That's a Monday. Um, so, uh, But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Mesquite's kind of rediscovered their mojo that they showed against Horn and could potentially maybe make a bit of a late push. We've, hey, we've seen crazier things happen. I remember that year a few years ago when um, you know Mesquite Horn started off the year. Was it like 0-6 or 0-7? And then they were able to like rally just because of the way the schedule shook out, and they were able to rally late and qualify for the playoffs and ended up going like two, three rounds deep at that. So Never know. We've seen crazier things happen for sure. Um, but, yeah, obviously uh, given the way that um, – I mean, given the way that COVID has impacted this district, a lot of the most relevant games still left to uh, left to be played. So, uh, yes, don't uh, do not pencil in too many Fridays for this district going forward, because like I said, there's going to be a lot of it's be some Monday football, going to be some Wednesday, going to be some Saturday. It's going to be all over the place for ten six a. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Devin schedule his uh, game coverage. Yeah, that's going to be quite the adventure. For him. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a look at ten six a kind of going forward, and um, and yeah, that's a look at kind of where all four of our six a districts are uh, are at heading into the uh, into the home stretch. Like I said, lots of lots of relevant football to be played, and hopefully, fingers crossed. But hopefully, these COVID scares are you know you hope that they're at least behind these schools. But I mean, realistically, there's no way anyone can know. It's it seems like things are actually kind of going to get worse before they get better. So yeah, um, yeah, but nevertheless, so that's kind of where things are at right now. As far as 6A football goes in our coverage area, and that'll uh, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast. Um, let's see, we'll be back on Thursday to talk about our reader-voted game of the week. Y'all can go to our website at starlocalmedia.com to vote on that. And um, yeah, folks, until then, you take care, and we will talk to y'all later. Looking to hire top talent in your community? Look no further than starlocaljobs.com. Our platform is specifically designed to connect local employers with qualified candidates in their area. With StarLocalJobs.com, you can easily post job listings tailored to your specific needs and requirements. Our platform is user-friendly and offers a wide range of options to help you find the perfect candidate for your open position. Plus, our job matching algorithm ensures that your listing is shown to the most relevant job seekers in your area. But that's not all. StarLocalJobs.com also offers a variety of resources to help you throughout the hiring process. From candidate screening to interview tips, our team of experts is dedicated to helping you find the right fit for your company. 
so why wait? Join the thousands of satisfied employers who have found their ideal candidate through StarLocalJobs.com. Post your job listing today and start building your dream team.